99 cents. That's it, ladies. On Tuesday, January 26th on Amazon, date to find your soulmate is going to be just 99 cents. I just had a chat with the author, Rachel Shearer. She is a certified relationship coach who holds multiple certifications, and she helps savvy women find their perfect partners without the usual heartache. I've been taking a look at the book, and it's fun, it's easy to read, it's quick, and has great advice. So pop on over to Amazon, Date to Find Your Soulmate, How to Get the Man of Your Dreams Through Strategic and Successful Dating Techniques. The link will be in the show notes to make it easy for you to find. Hey mom, do you have trouble saying no to people? Do you find yourself saying yes when you should have said no or you wanted to say no? or you try to say no, but you end up getting talked around or pushed into it anyway. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. My clients have done that. And I've come up with a formula for saying no, as well as looking at what are some of the things that cause us to say yes, and looking at some of the psychology of that and dealing with different people. And I put it all together into a short class, something that you can grab online, it is the art and science of saying no. And in there, you will learn my formula, you will learn tips and strategies, and you will discover that you can ditch guilt and stress. And along the way, stop yourself from being overscheduled too. Just visit sandyfowler.com and you can click on the art and science of saying no or go straight to that page at sandyfollower.com slash saying dash no. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. And just want to remind you to pop over to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. Our teens can baffle us sometimes. They lock themselves away in their rooms. They may lose their desire to participate or to achieve or lose their zest for life. They might be angry or moody or be apparently anxious or afraid. And as parents, we see that behavior and we start wondering what to do about it and how to fix our kid. And all of these behaviors are outward signs. They can come from emotional pain. Our kids often have to deal with emotional pain, grief, and anxiety. And today's guest has been there herself. She has turned her pain into power. Her name is Samantha Ruth. She's a coach, a speaker, and an author who digitally counsels people worldwide. And today she's going to show us how she turned her pain into power so we can help our kids to do the same. Sam, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I love what you do. Thank you. And as I said, we were chatting before, I appreciate that you are sharing your story. Um, I know you lost your husband suddenly in 2017, which I am definitely, I'm very sorry about that. And I am so impressed that you are out there in the world and talking about this pain, which is still really 
relatively fresh, uh, especially because that apparently caused some really serious problems for you. So maybe you could just share a, a bit about what, what it was like for you after you lost your husband. It, it honestly, it was like the end of the world. It was a month after I had major back surgery. And I, as a psychologist, I think I, I expected myself to know what to do and I didn't. And the world expects things from you. They expect you to get back to work and to get back to who you are. And I couldn't do that. And I couldn't pretend to do that. So it was a big struggle. And um, the only thing I could do was take care of my back and take care of my dog. Okay, that was really interesting. That idea of the expectations you had for yourself. And I, I understand, you know, as a psychologist, you really think that but I think that that is something, that's a trap we can all fall into. And I know as parents of teenagers, it's really easy to fall into that trap because we expect them to know things and be able to do things like they're adults, even though their brain hasn't fully developed yet. They aren't, mentally speaking, even adults. And yet we just kind of expect that when they experience a loss or they experience a disappointment or a failure or a frustration, that they just know how to walk through that. Yeah, and I tried to. I tried to go to events and do the things that the world expects you to do. And I just finally said, I can't do this. And I cannot do this the way people traditionally do. And I'm going to do this the way I need to do. And it was different. And I don't want to say it wasn't well received because I have the best family in the world. And I love my friends and my husband's fraternity is like his family. And like they have been here for me every step of the way. And, and I, I personally suffer from anxiety and always have uh, from a very, very young age. But I never really showed it or talked about it until I lost my husband. And I just was in so much pain. I said, I do not care anymore because my anxiety was at this point coming out also. There was so much anxiety about how do I go to this event? How do I go to this dinner? Um, how do I put my grief into a box, get dressed, and get through this? And, and finally, I just didn't care. And I said, I am going to do this my way. And people didn't get it. And um, it, you, you learn who is there for you and who isn't because the people who truly, truly love me stood by me no matter what and said, we do not like this. We do not get this, but we're here for you. Mm. And I, 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 um, I did a lot myself. I did a lot. I live in Colorado, so I'm very fortunate. And I took my dog and I did a lot in nature by myself, um, living with anxiety it was very difficult for me to be around a lot of people while I was in so much pain because I was having meltdowns anywhere and everywhere. 
and I didn't want to pretend I wasn't going to, and I didn't, I didn't want to just pull myself together, which is what I was taught. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of people with anxiety are told um, to pull yourself together or to fix it. I'm also an athlete, so I was kind of raised with these messages. Um, and I think a lot of people with mental health issues feel <laughs> a little bit crazy and a little bit out there. And um, we're told or taught to fix it. And I didn't want to anymore. And this has helped me change the way I work with my clients. It, ch- it helped me change the way I healed. <laughs> um, everything I had been doing my entire life hadn't worked. And I, I didn't know I was going to change my entire practice and the way I worked with people. But I learned that pulling myself together did not work. I, I let myself break down. Well, okay, I want to back up just a second and, and I actually have this question in two parts. So I'm kind of curious, as you were going through this time, when you were initially trying to make yourself pull it together to get back to work, to go to events and things, I'm kind of curious what that might have looked like to people, to other people in your life, to the people who cared about you what kind of what kind of maybe behaviors were they seeing or things were they hearing you say how did it show up to them could they tell that this was a problem for you that you couldn't do this i i would love to ask so um i think that the rest of the world does not see the struggle that goes on before and after an event they see you at the event and God, I, I mean, I imagine I looked like a mess. <laughs> um, I, I was a mess. Um, but the before and after is worse getting, you know, being there. I was internally a mess, but on the outside, I imagine I looked okay because I made it there. Um, but there's a million things I didn't make it to. Or I would get there, I would physically get to an event, but not go in because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would I would either fall apart in the car or I would have such an anxiety <laughs> attack about what would happen if I got myself in that I would just turn around and go home. So I think the outside world saw a lot of not showing up to things. and the things I was at, I looked okay. So, you know, that's, that's a, an oxymoron sort of. <laughs> and, and yet it makes sense because it was, could you follow through or couldn't you? And if you were following through, you were just slapping on a mask. Yeah. And that's what they got to see. So that really does make a lot of sense to me. And I hear that often when I, talk to people, especially young people who deal with mental health issues, they say, you know, I wear a mask. And so you slap on the mask, you go out, get it done. Like you said, pull it together, get it done. And then you go home and then you can take off. Fall the mask. apart. 
and that's the fall apart. So that was the next yeah. piece of it is you said, you know, you didn't want to pull it together. That wasn't working for you. What did work for you was to fall apart. And I'm, so I'm wondering now, what did falling apart look like for you? Um, you know, the first six to eight months is such a blur. I, I joke and tell people, you know, if you told me that, um, I, I climbed a mountain or I learned Japanese or I ate, I'm a vegetarian, you know, or if I ate a pig, I would believe you because my memory is so skewed. Um, I did not sleep very much. I, I, I did not eat very much. I did what people told me. I did not function very well. And when I started to function, it was doing things by myself and doing things outdoors. So it wasn't always falling apart and having, you know, crying spells, although there, you know, I, I still cry every day. Um, back then it was crying for hours. It's not that anymore, but it was, I just, I felt like a child, a complete infant incapable of functioning by myself. And I was, again, I had just had back surgery as well. So it's real, like my physical and mental recovery was happening at the same time. Yeah. And so this was the falling apart was primarily from the grief. Yes. Okay. And this was interesting back. Um, I believe it was episode 15. We had Mark Hundley on and he talked to us about helping our teenagers deal with loss. And one of the things we talked about was that all kinds of loss create grief for our kids. It can be the loss of not being able to do something they expected to do. It can be the loss of a friendship. It can be the loss of not making the team or not making the level of orchestra or band that they wanted. I mean, there are all these things that can be a loss Absolutely. to them. And there's still a grief. Friend moving, yeah. 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 Yeah, and there's going to be a grief around that. And I I fear because I hate to think that I would have done that to my kids, but I fear that as parents that we do what you said, which is we go like, okay, yeah, you can be sad about that. Like tell me about it, be sad. Okay, well you're done talking about it or you can have a day or you can have a weekend. Now, suck it up, cupcake. Life goes on. <laughs> and I'm just thinking that that is so not helpful. Whereas what I heard you say about your family was, they said, we don't like it. We don't understand it, but we'll support you. And what did that feel? Like I, well, I had reached a point where I wasn't taking any other answer. I was in so much pain that, you know, I, I wasn't accepting anything else. I, I just think that we have to feel the feelings in order to successfully move on to the next stage. And inadvertently, we are teaching kids otherwise. And I think sports is a great example. I mean, I started playing tennis before I could walk. My coaches were not intentionally teaching me not to feel, but I was taught not to feel. And that is a cultural thing. I, I know in my coaching practice with women, I, I actually, it was through podcasting that I learned more about 
feeling our feelings back on my first podcast, which so it was probably seven, eight years ago. Um, I was introduced to Jude Bijou, who this is her work. Her book is Attitude Reconstruction and all her work is around this. She's a psychotherapist and she is just trying to explain to us that we need to feel our feelings and let them move out of our body. It's emotion is energy in motion and we need to actually let it out. Yes. And, and how many people do you hear on a regular basis say, fake it until you can make it? Yes. You know, it, it, it makes me really frustrated. And so I'm so passionate about just starting conversations because inadvertently we're teaching people the opposite at a young, young age. Yeah. And I just, I think my favorite thing that you said is we have to feel the feelings in order to move on to the next phase. And it isn't pretty. That was the other thing is it's, it's so hard to just be with someone you love who's hurting that badly. But what I hear you telling me is, yeah. And well, but what I hear you saying is that's what you needed was to just be able to do it. Yeah, nobody, it, it, people wanted me to go to football games and go to concerts again because fun Sam, that's what I did. And I was not fun. It was uncomfortable to be around me because I was going to cry and I want to talk about Jim and I still talk about Jim every day. And I always will always. (laughs) And, and now I can do it without crying. And sometimes I will cry. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then you don't have to be around me. Like, and that is the attitude I have developed. My book that I'm writing is called Redefining Ruthless because I am ruthless. And, and that doesn't have to be a negative thing. But if it, it makes somebody uncomfortable to be around me. And at that point, maybe I was too miserable and I could not fake being happy. And if they needed to just go to a concert and have fun and not deal with like me wanting to be in my pajamas and just sit around and, and be with my dog and do whatever I needed to do, then I didn't need to be around those people. So how do we draw a line if we're, if we have someone we love who is experiencing a loss, they're, they're going through some kind of grief how do we know when there's a point where the way that they are experiencing really is a problem that, that something needs to be done, that we need to help them get help, professional help or something else? Oh, I needed help and I was getting help. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm not saying I was okay. Um, But I think people need to be met where they're at. So um, saying like, I love you and I'm concerned. And, um, can we, can we talk somewhere where, where can we, where are you comfortable talking in your pajamas outside with your dog, uh, at a coffee shop? Like what, what are you okay doing? Inviting me to a concert was not going to happen at that time at all. You could have invited me a hundred days in a row and I couldn't do it then. Right now, 
granted, we don't have concerts, but it's not going to happen with certain people, even still. Like, that's still a very difficult thing for me to do. And I have to be with certain people to be okay doing that. So something devastating has happened in this person's life. And they have to be in a safe place. So that's first and foremost. Where will they feel safe? Okay, so we can we can talk to our kids about what they're experiencing. You know, starting out with, I love you. I'm here to support you. I want to understand what's happening. I want to know how I can support you. Where do you feel safe? What is making you feel and I use the word better right now, but you know, not necessarily, I know you don't feel good, but you know, what is it that might help you feel incrementally better? Is there something I can do for you and, and ask, but also sometimes I know people just don't know. Like I, mm-hmm. like you said, you're, you're falling apart. You're like, I don't know. So I think it would be fine to offer things. Just don't offer it with the expectation that they must say yes. So I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you weren't offended if someone asked you to go to a concert as long as they were okay with hearing no as an answer. Correct. And I also like if if the, you're you're right when you said that people might not know what they need. So if I if the control was put in my hands, I might never come up with the answer. I told people and kids of uh, teenagers of most of all will, will get this analogy. Don't give me essay questions. Don't give me, don't give me that much choice. Give me multiple choice, like apples or oranges. If you're, if you're saying, do you need groceries? I, I guarantee you that I do, but I don't know what I need and I'm not going to be able to, to tell you that that's too much that's too much that you're putting on my shoulders. So you can say, I'm at the store and I'm going to get you something. You can't tell me no. So do you want bananas or do you want apples? And I'm coming over. Do you want me to leave them on the porch or do you want company right now? Yeah, I, I, so I can so get that. So my daughter, let's name her Sally. And Sally, I, I know that you, you had a rough week, or I know that this situation happened and that's really hard on you. I need to be with you to support you, to just be there for you. Would you like to come sit out in the family room with me? Or would you like me to come sit in your room with you? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yes. Okay. So more along the lines of limited choices. And then how does the anxiety come in to play in this? You know, that is just going to be, I think, exacerbating everything. What can we do when um, our child is, you know, experience, say if they're experiencing an anxiety attack or, or we can actually, let's back up a second and go, we can see them becoming anxious. Is there anything we can do to help take that down a notch or to help walk them through it? 
Um, I think the best thing other people can do is in that moment, I know you want to make it better and talk about it, but I think that you need to distract in that moment and get their mind on something else. So truly not talking about it, getting, getting, so for me, it would be talking about anything else. Like you saying to me, I have a problem and um, my, my, my sister is driving me crazy and I need you to help. And, and you actually getting my mind on your issue. And I know that it's part of the idea too, behind tools that they teach about, you know, getting into our physical senses is getting our brain to stop thinking about the thing that it's thinking about that's creating the anxiety or that's caught in that loop and to be focusing just on something else, which in this case is, you know, physical body because it can break through there. And so you can have someone, you know, touch something or listen to something and discuss that. So it could be turning on some music and saying, oh my gosh, can, can you tell what instrument that is? Or can you hear the horns back there or whatever to, to get in those, those physical sensations along with the, the shifting and thinking. And I like to come back to it at a later point, like not an hour later, the next day, what was going on? What, because it's important to know what's bothering her or him, but not, not when it's happening. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. I was just writing myself a note (laughs) because I love that it's get through it in the moment give it some time. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't run right back to it because they've just passed through the anxiety. So things are still going to be a little fresh. Potentially you could send them back through the anxiety cycle. Right. So let it be. And then later the next day. And, and maybe the other thing I think that we tend to do as parents is we tend to ambush And we tend to expect instant. So I think we can come back to it later and say, hey, I I know the anxiety attacks are difficult. I'd like to have a discussion about it. When would you like to talk about that? And maybe also, as you said before, where would you like to talk about that? That's a new one I hadn't thought about before, but where can be huge. Well, and anxiety attack might be a word that just triggers. So I, um, I use code words with people and, and for me, it's like a fun, uplifting, silly, so like jelly beans, peanut butter pancakes, like something that you can say in front of other people and they won't know. Um, it's, it's not going to trigger anything negative. Um, and you can also bring it up a few days later and not upset someone. You can text it. You can say it on the phone. So that's, and then you can also um, use it and say like, um, mom, peanut butter pancakes. And it's like a way of saying, don't bring anything up right now. I'm in a mood. I love that. So, And it, it also, okay. it also brings in a, a lighter element, which can just help us kind of all stay a little calmer going, yeah, this is an unpleasant moment, but it passes. This, this really is not the end of the world. This is a moment and it will pass. 
and we've gotten through it before and we'll get through it again. So I, I and like that. And if you that. share it with others. So like, I mean, I use it with people and it can be like, a, I need you to call me now and I need you to distract me. You're not allowed to ask what's going on because I've just told you I'm in, you know, I'm having anxiety. Um, and, and like, it's your cue to use your tools and be here for me. It's like saying 911 almost. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes, and you know what? It gives people permission to use it back if they need you. It, it becomes a resource that other people can then say to you, you know what? I'm having a bad day too. It, it, it becomes, I, if, if anybody ever told a friend, it, it almost opens the door for somebody to say, hey, I'm kind of depressed today. Um, and it makes it a topic that isn't so taboo. And taboo is a problem, right? So everything that we can do to take the taboo out of it makes a big difference. I know my one daughter and I have, I had explained to her about reading about spoon theory, which if anyone wants to know what it is, just email me, connect at mightyparenting.com and I'll explain it there. But, but it's her way of telling me that she just doesn't have the capacity today to deal with anything mm. more than what must be done. And so I know on that day not to toss something new at her. I know that, you know, maybe if I had chores I wanted her to do, we can, I'd say, okay, fine, you know, let's do, do it tomorrow or do it the next day. You know, let's, let's strip life down to what must be done today and let her do that. But by telling me up front with our own little terminology there, our own little way of speaking, I know. And we have good days then instead of bad days. And it also lets her move through it because she's not dealing with my emotions on top of everything else. Me being disappointed, me being upset, me, you know, haranguing her about why haven't you done this yet? You said you were going to do it. Why isn't it done? Whatever it is, all of that negative talk and negative emotion, <laughs> negative relationship would just pile on what was already a tough day for her. Whereas this way, it's exactly it the different. same thing. I love it. And, and it's because it's bottom line. It's because it's starting a conversation. And that to me is what's missing among all of this back to, you know, we're being taught to pull ourselves together when if we all were just able to say, I'm having a bad day, <laughs> how much easier would life be? Exactly. And so one other thing, Sam, you mentioned, use your tools. What tools? We all, we all have tools, but I mean, you just said it. Like she says spoon, um, I forgot what you said, spoon therapy or spoon service. Just a low spoon um, day. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, your tools are to not pile more on her. Those are your tools, but mm. um, our, you know, our, um, our tools, my tools are to use my code word and to say jelly beans. And I mean, but tools in general are, I think our biggest tools are our voices. And I'm trying to use mine with the world to say, uh, maybe we've all been taught incorrectly that um, keeping quiet and pulling ourselves together and um, faking it and, you know, all those things are giving the world the wrong message and our biggest tool is our voice. And if we let people know how we're feeling and what we're dealing with, um, people are better prepared how to interact with us and, and 
I think that's our biggest tool. So if I'm going to kind of take all this wonderful conversation and sum it up, I'm going to go, okay, as a parent, I can let my kid know that I understand they have feelings. I expect that they will express those feelings. And I would like to develop uh, some vocabulary around doing that together so that we can support each other through that. As a human, I can also let my kid know that I am human and I also have feelings and I'm going to be doing the same thing. And so when I'm having a day that I feel stressed or pulled, I can tell them up front because I know that's a big one in our house. I start to get pulled too thin and then I get short tempered. I get snappy. So that's just a place where I can start expressing what I'm feeling and teaching my kids about that and modeling for them that this is how we can do this and asking for what I need. It's this conversation piece, which longtime listeners know we hear about it over and over in different ways. Have conversations, model healthy relationships and communication. So, but that's what I'm getting. And then God forbid something catastrophic happens like your loss of your husband, then yes, we're going to have the feelings and yes, it's still going to be hard. But then we have these tools and these communication strategies in place with the people we love most to make it smoother to get through the hard. Yes. We lean on the people we love the most. We never pretend to feel differently than how we feel. And if you feel a way that you think is bad or wrong, it's not, we can't control how we feel. I love that. We can't control how we feel. And we can't, and we shouldn't expect our kids to. We can expect them to control what they do about how they feel. I mean, you know, we need to be safe. We need to be respectful. We need to be reasonably kind, you know, but, but the feeling, the feeling is the feeling and we need to let them go. Yeah. And we can change the mindset and, and be positive. And, you know, believe me, I walked around saying life sucks and I have a great life still. You know, I, I wish Jim was here, but that was how I felt for a long time. So they're, they're allowed to feel however they feel. And, and, and if they want to punch the pillows and kick and scream, you talk them through that. Yeah. And one of the things you said, you know, like you felt terrible and that life was awful and now you find positive. But I also want to remind us that it isn't always going from I feel terrible to, oh, life is great just one step, you know, something more neutral is also a step. You know, we, we just, you know, sometimes we're just expecting the positive and we can't, and someone can't go positive. I know there are times where I dig myself into a hole and it's like, I can't just suddenly be out of the hole. I have to dig some little steps into that dirt and walk my way up, you know, climb my way up that little dirt ladder to get out. And with each step, which is, you know, closer to a positive, it might just be neutral. It might be, well, you know, I'm, I'm here and it's okay. 
And I think we need to learn to let that be too, and not to expect our kids to just go to the positive and to be Pollyanna or have the, the cheering section going. So I, I like right, that point right. too. <laughs> They're kids. Their, their brains are still developing. You know, it, 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 we have to honor their developmental stages and, and let them go through <laughs> all of the, the, the feelings that what you just said, it doesn't happen for us overnight. So they have to be allowed to get there. Well, thank you, Sam, so much for joining us today. For anyone who wants more from you, where can they find you? SamanthaRoof.com. And thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite conversations. I love what you're doing. And again, this was wonderful. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And Mighty Parents, I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. If you enjoyed this conversation, tell another parent about it. This is how we spread the word and help parents through their parenting journey. Remember to pick up your free email series at mightyparenting.com. And just thanks for being here today, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, you are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.